Today's passage comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, verses 4 through 7, and Matthew 2, 7 through 15. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end, on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Matthew 2, 7-15 Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. This is the word of the Lord. We have uh, been in this text for a little bit, and um, I hope you aren't tired of it. Isaiah chapter 9, Pastor Young referenced it uh, two Sundays ago, and I preached on it last Sunday, and also um, on Christmas Eve, and I want to I give it one more time. Next week, we'll, we'll go to a different passage as we close out our Advent um, period this year um, in the first Sunday of the year. I'll give you a message on the second coming of Christ. We'll talk about Advent as coming, and we're talking about the second coming next time. But for today, I want to give you one more message on Isaiah chapter 9. And um, I've entitled this message, The Incarnation Defeating Injustice. The incarnation defeating injustice. The incarnation, for those of you who mean, is is about how Jesus became fully human, how God went into the flesh. That's what incarnate means, and He became fully human, one with us, not just for thirty years, but forever. Jesus is still fully human. He's still with us, for us, and He is going to be eternally human. And eternally God, truly eternally divine and truly eternally human forever and ever as mediator between us and God and takes us to God to be cherished by Him. And I want to preach a message to you on this theme, how it is this this incarnation of Christ. And again, I know it's been Christmas, but I wanted to give you one more Christmas message. It's so important. And so three parts, as I always do, or almost always do. Part one. The perpetual problem of justice in a sinful, fallen world. The perpetual 
problem of justice in a sinful, fallen world. Part two, humble, persevering courage. That's what I want to urge us toward in 2021. Humble, persevering courage. And I want to close by um, sharing the gospel through confidence in a spirit-led government. Confidence in a spirit-led government. Okay. Part one. Um, you know, I hope you're not tired of hearing these these verses. Um, you know, I, I, I've been we've been talking about justice, and I know that this is this is uh, these are hard things, and some of it is kind of sad and depressing, but it's because the world is this way, right? And this is how it, it's put in. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 4, For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. And I, and I share with you, if you joined us on Christmas Eve, there really is a staff for the shoulder. You know, there's a rod, there's a rod that hits us and strikes those who are weak. And I shared with you in these last couple messages, you know, this quote from this brilliant author, Tom Holland, he's a non-Christian British historian who doesn't believe in Jesus anymore, but he talked, he wrote this book called Dominion, and I want to just share this quote with you one more time. It's so good. I, I really want you to get it, and how it really shows you what he is seeing it too. He's seeing that Isaiah 9.4, the yoke of his burden, the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, this is the stuff of history. And here's how Tom Holland puts it, right? He said, the values of Leonidas, the great military leader of the Spartans, right? Whose people had practiced a peculiarly murderous form of eugenics and trained their young to kill uppity untermenschen. German for under, unter is under, mention for people. For uppity, the under people, the weaker people, the lower people, the despised people. So that's how Leonidas, they handled it. If any of them got out of their out of their place, they thought that they could be uppity and actually challenge the status quo, challenge the over people with a message from below the under people. You know what they do? They would kill them by night. Now, as we put it, these valleys were nothing that I recognized as my own. It was not just the extremes of callousness that unsettled me, but the complete lack of any sense that the poor or the weak might have the slightest intrinsic value. Brothers and sisters, this is, this is the way, this is completely normal in life. And uh, many of us are living in, you know, this is, this is America and, uh, you know, it's, it's called a Western country. And the Western countries have historically been touched by Christianity, you know, Western Christianity. And a lot of people... Around the world, they, you know, they understand that Western civilization is really the place where the dominant religion has been Western Christianity. And yet, um, you know, this book by Tom Holland showing you the, the incredible hypocrisies of it and also the victories of it. And we live in a time in which all kinds of freedoms, even this whole notion, Tom Holland agrees with Christian values because he himself has been so touched by Christianity by Christmas that he can't he can't really agree with Leonidas, this thing that has been so completely normal all throughout the world. And on Christmas, I, I told you it's unbelievable, this amazing story about these, you know, these hunchback Christians, Benjamin and Sarah Lay, because 
of verses like Isaiah chapter 9, from Isaiah chapter 9, they have the audacity to be uppity intervention because they believed in their king, the government of their king. Now, what I wanted to what I want to do today is I want to show you this is such a deep, deep theme in the Bible. It's not even just in Isaiah chapter 9. I want to show you. You know, I don't know if many of you regularly think of Christmas this way, but Christmas is always, it's, it's so much about justice. It's so much about what we've, been, what we've been studying, biblical justice or God's justice, or as I want to say, it's real justice. It's God's justice, not secular, secular, you know, ideological justice as we have in our culture. All these, you know, there's more than one kind of version of justice. And we've been talking about justice, and of course the Bible is always going to talk about God's just biblical justice. And I want to take you to Matthew chapter 2, tremendously famous passage. And I want to ask you, have you ever thought about this and thought about this in light of justice? So you have Isaiah chapter 9, and it says the people dwelt in a land of deep darkness. Not just darkness, deep darkness. And then the next verses talk about the rod of this presser. It goes on to even talk about even very stark and scary images like every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. So listen to this passage and I just want to read this and I want you to think about this in light of how Christmas addresses the subject matter of justice. Listen to this. Right. Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. This is first, I just want to make some comments as I read through this. First and foremost, people are so fake. <laughs> this is just, we think Herod is so so bad, but really we're all like Herod. That to the world we want to look like we are we have piety and we have righteousness and we have decency, but all of it is is a is a is a is a is a shell of hypocritical lies. You know, we live in a time where we're so nervous and we're so so you know lacking in trust. We lack in trust in our news, we lack in trust in each other. We we there's so much anger in our times because we're all like Herod today. You know, we, we, we present this fake face. And we want to say that we care about things like God or righteousness. And we care about these great promises. But Herod doesn't care about these things at all. But here's how he says, go and because I want to worship him too. And here we go. This is this kind of pharisaical hypocrisy. It's, it's the stuff of the world. So sometimes... You know, if you are joining us today and you don't believe in Jesus and you have maybe you haven't gone to church or you know you you don't you're not even interested, you tend to think the stuff in the Bible it's this if these if these like mythological stories from a long time ago, is it? Does this seem like a mythological story to you? Isn't this so everyday? Isn't this so mundane? And we know leaders like this too. And I, I don't know, I mean, I'm not trying to make any critiques of any particular side. Every side, every partisan side has leaders just like this, where we put on the fake face, where they put on the fake face. Sometimes they're women, sometimes they're men. 
And yet, here we go. Verse 9. After listening to the king, that's Herod, they, the wise men, went on their way, and behold, the star, behold, the star that they had seen when it rose, went before them until it came to the rest over the place where the child was. And you guys know the story. They come to this house, and they bow down, and they give gifts. By the way, just because there were three gifts doesn't necessarily mean three. There were three wise men. There might have been two. There might have been ten. But we know there were three gifts. And by the way, it didn't say they came to a bunch of stables. It came, they came to a house. So this isn't the same day. So I just want to challenge you a little bit to think about Christmas, not from tradition, you know, the nativity scene, <laughs> I mean, I don't want to knock it because it's a beautiful thing, a part of our culture, but it's it's a conflation of Matthew chapter 2 and 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 from the Gospel of Luke. All right, so let me, let me jump forward to verse 13. Now when they, that is um, the, the, now they, that is the wise men, had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, rise, take the child and his mother. Oh wait, I should go backwards. Verse 12. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So they didn't go back and talk to the fake, lying, hypocritical leader. Verse 13, and when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night, and departed to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. At least so, for a period of time, think about this, Joseph and Mary and Jesus, they were immigrants. They were in a foreign culture, in a foreign land. They were, let me, let, let's put it in modern daylight, they were refugees fleeing an oppressive government, literally where their life was on the line. So I want you to think about that the next time our country receives refugees. What if Egypt had no place for refugees fleeing a tyrannical government? Uh, that wouldn't have been a good place for Joseph and Mary to go, would it have been? And so it says, and he rose and took the child by night and departed to Egypt. And here is the verse. This is part of Christmas too. And remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. So it wasn't like they were just there for one week or two weeks. They were there for quite some time. It doesn't say exactly how long that was. But it was probably some years. So Egypt might have been the first places where Jesus took his first walk. And where Jesus, the first place where he ran around the neighborhood was probably in Egypt, not in Israel. And until then, so until then, what was going on back home, there was murder. <laughs> there was the rod of the oppressor. There was every garment rolled in blood, the blood of children. And so this is... This is how it is. It's not just that the untermenschen, the under people that Tom Holland references, are just those people over there. The under people are God's people. They're Israel. It was Jesus himself, the Son of God, he chose, the Son of God himself was chosen by God to be among the under people who had to flee for his life. And his father was very poor. His mother was very poor. And they had to flee to a whole other country 
in order for their life to be saved from the tyranny of the world. And so this is so much the way the world works. It's not like, you know, ancient Israel, Leonidas, Julius Caesar. You know, today we're concerned in so many different ways. And I, I want to I urge you to think about what it means that ju- injustice and oppression, it is not... Sometimes I think we think that uh, we live in America and, you know, it's a more free society. And, you know, we, when we can live inside of, of, of prosperity and we don't feel touched. We don't feel like we're the untermenschen um, whose lives are being threatened. And, but if, and if we do, then we, can, then we live in a decent society and every society always wants to see himself as a decent society. The over people, the privileged people of society always want to say, we're good people. We have good intentions and a good religion and good morality and good righteousness, but we often don't have eyes for the under people. We don't have eyes for, and don't consider that there are refugees running from somewhere else. We often don't have eyes to think about about um, children. They're out of sight and out of mind, and they are being slaughtered. And you know, these things that we're talking about, they're not just things in the Bible. They're not just things from history. You know, I, I, I mentioned this. You, you, read this. you read this passage about Jesus, Joseph, and Mary running for their lives. And, I'm, and I deliberately use this for refugees because that's exactly what they were. And you know, today, there, there is a critique from some quarters of our culture that the other side is very, very callous to refugees, including some of the people who call themselves Christians. And yet here's the Bible. The Bible doesn't care if you're on the left or on the right. And then there are some people who are on another political side who are critiquing on one side who are very callous to the slaughter of children if they are unborn and they are out of sight and out of mind. And they are inconvenient to the people who have who are the overmentioned, the ubermentioned. Not the untermenschen, the ubermenschen. The people who have, the over people of those who have power. And those are the people who want to say, hey, we want to take these out because this is, gets in our way. And so there's a lot of Herods today. It isn't just, you know, just the elite. Herods are all the time. The spirit of Herod is all the time. And honestly, if we are honest, we are often, we often have the spirit of Herod in our time. And brothers and sisters, if you you know if you've been you know if you've been pastored by me, you've heard me say this, that you know the world isn't broken simply because of our sins, because of the way we kill children or we are callous toward the poor, to the fatherless, to the widows, to the refugees, to the outsiders. Refugees are a kind of outsiders to the minor, to the sojourners, as the Bible puts it. But it is also because of our righteousness. <laughs> our righteousness always just, it's, it's always, there's a poison pill in there. That when it comes to what we care about and what we think makes us look good and what we, when things come between what's our comfort zone and what makes us look good and that we must sa- be sacrificial. We must have more care than we really, really want to. We must be more generous than we really, really want to. We must invite people into our lives that are really uncomfortable than we want to. Then it's a lot easier to be Herod than it is to be 
inside of the true meaning of Christmas and be with the incarnate Savior. And I know this isn't an easy message, brothers and sisters, but this is what it means to be inside. This is, the, in a sense, one of the truly profound, deeper messages of Christmas. Christmas is a tremendously joyful and happy word because it promises that all this self-righteousness, this phony righteousness, this hypocritical Herod kind of righteousness of the uber-mentioned will pass, but it begins with us. It begins with us. It begins in repentance. It begins with us joyfully receiving that we were failures of justice. But thankfully, the one who became, who chose to become the Untermenschen with us would take all the justice that we deserved so that he could give us all the restorative justice that we do not deserve. So the things that I've been preaching to you, this, this is Christmas. This is that apart from Christmas? This is Christmas. And so this is the first part I really want to say. And that's a bit of a heavy thing to say, but um, I think it was very appropriate that Christmas, that we don't just shift gears. Okay, let's go to Christmas now and let's just talk about happy things and let's just have cheerful, you know, because that's what Christmas is about. No, that would be, I would say, Christmas from culture, Christmas from tradition, Christmas from not of the Bible, but of from us. But we need to practice Christmas of the gospel. And if this is a time of mourning and of hurt and of darkness, if you and I are not touched by that, then we should also remember to be utterly thankful that we are in a place of safety and of prosperity, but so many people around us are not. And I want to say that this is what it's like constantly to live inside of the history of injustice. On the one hand, there is the sadness of history. The deep, as the, as, the, as the Bible puts this, a people have dwelt in a land of deep darkness. Brothers, this, we're living in a very post-Christian time. It's a land of deep darkness. And yet, it doesn't mean we, can, we, will, we will only wander around the dark. We can have joy. We can have triumph. Now, let me just say something about part two. Part two, humble, persevering courage. I want to say something. Um, I was on, I was on a, um, a pastoral cohort. So I'm in like different pastor groups, getting you know, staying connected to other church leaders um, and what's going on. And one of them is with you know my dear friend, Pastor J.P. Samuel, who many of you know and you respect. And he leads a cohort of pastors, um, of immigrant church pastors. And... One, he's connected to a famous pastor in our area. His name is Chip Ingram. He has a famous radio program called Living on the Edge. And he just recently retired as the senior pastor of Venture Church. And he gave some words you know, at, toward the latter portion in a couple weeks ago. And he said some really profound things about this period. And he talked about, and I want to I share some of this with you. He said that he believes that COVID is going to deeply change us. And he studied church history, and one of the things he said is about every hundred years, what happens is the culture seriously changes, and then we live in a new era. That's the way I put it. In a new era, things don't go back to the way they were before. I mean, it's a, it's a new time. It's a new, you can't go back. And, and he goes, and every 500 years or so, he says we live in a new epoch. It's vastly different. And he thinks 
COVID is going to mark a new era and maybe possibly a new epic. So just to give you an idea of what we, you know, what you mean by that is, you know, in 1776, um, America became a new country, and lots of radical things changed. Emancipation Proclamation, uh, the North won the Civil War, it completely, it changed the country. You know, this idea that we're just going to accept slavery, it, that, that it, it was a change. And the country could never go back. There are many people who might have said, I wish we could go back to normal, but there was no going back. And what Chimp Ingram was thinking is that after we come out of COVID in 2021, and we're probably going to come out of it in some, you know, in a few months from now. So, so many of us, we are hoping to go back to normal. We're going to go back to normal. But one of the things that Chip Ingram said, which deeply impressed me, was he doesn't think there's any going back. We're not going back. Don't think about going back. We're going into a new era. And into a new era, we must have a new spirit, a new ways. See, this Christmas marks a new era. The people walked in deep darkness, and then the light that was promised of an everlasting government of shalom, of peace, came, was inaugurated, inaugurated by this king, the Messiah. And to, after this COVID period, I, I, I don't think the culture is going to be the same. I want your eyes to be opened to the fact that, you know, we're kind of hunkered down in our houses, and so it's harder to see who around us is hurting. I think um, this normally super busy, we're going to make money, the Silicon Valley intensely worldly spirit, something about the spell of that is going to be pushed back. And part of the way it's going to be pushed back is, I think, the hurts. And we're going to find out, some people are going to move away from here. We're going to find out some people died. Some people have drifted into addiction. And children have lost their fathers through addiction. Or lost a brother or a sister to suicide. And we're going to see the hurts. And these things that we're talking about, that there'll be justice for the fatherless, for the widows, for the outsiders, brothers and sisters, Let's go into the new era of looking for them. Let's live inside of God. That this wouldn't just be a sermon series. We learn it. It's some cognitive feeding in our minds. But I want to ask you to go forward in a humble, persevering courage. We're not good at this thing. We're not good at, at being mindful of the hurting. We're not good at biblical justice, at true justice. But do you know what? We live in the grace. We're not good at this. But don't feel the pressure of guilt and performance, the wagging the wagging finger of our spirit. You're a bad person because you're not good at justice. You know what? We're all not good at justice. It, between the spirit of walking with our Savior, Jesus, Jesus who literally became one of the refugees, he, his, he was so endangered that he, he came this close to being fatherless, that his earthly father, Joseph, was going to put put his fiancée away. And Jesus could have been this fatherless. And then his 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 fiancée would have been like an orphan, uh, would have been like a widow. It's all there. Fatherless, the widow, the refugee, the outsider. Jesus was all of it. He takes it on in himself. And most of us, when we live in this life, I want to ask you this question. 
What kind of a life do you want to live? Do you primarily want to live a Herod-like of life, kind of life, where you live up in the castle, and as long as you have enough power, you can keep things comfortable for yourselves, and every now and then, we have to lie, we have to be hypocrites, and we have to be fake, and maybe we have to sacrifice some of the untermenschen so that our comforts can stay in place. That is always the easier way. You know, the dreams of our life are always to actually pick up a Herod kind of life. That's why we work so hard to climb the social ladder. And of course, nobody's thinking, nobody's thinking like, well, I'm going to be a Herod and I'm going to be oppressive and I'm going to be a liar. But, you know, once we get our social status and once we get our money and then once we get our comforts and our positions, then now we have something to lose. But especially in the world, brothers and sisters, your life is not long. And this injustice, this unjust it's it's not going away. <laughs> it's ongoing. And I want to ask you, as we go into this new era post-COVID, how do you want to live your life? Let me ask you a second question. There's all kinds of things that's been going on. I, I've, I've been on, I was on um, a Zoom call in a visit you know, we're, we, we pastors are doing these visits with members of our church with one of the sisters in our church who are very bright and talented and she does really great work in her company and she was sharing with me how um, the, the, our culture is pressuring us to conform to their understanding, their secular understanding of justice. And it has nothing to do with the Bible. And it conforms to their version, which keeps, by the way, the powerful people comfortable on top while they throw a bunch of people under the bus. While they get to look like good people on top, they are now demanding that we conform to their vision of justice. And so now there is, you can feel it, that if you don't entirely agree, and if you believe more in the Bible, and you come out of the closet, you could be like the Untermenschen. <laughs> And you, could, you might fear for your jobs and you might fear for your livelihood and for your comfort zones and we've, that we've worked so hard in America to build. But I want to ask you, we go into the 21st century and post-COVID in Silicon Valley, I know our brothers and sisters, they live in deep, our, our, our neighbors and our co-workers, they live in a land of deep darkness. And you know what they need? They need the justice from the Messiah. They need a new word. They need to stop feeling this legalistic, pharisaical pressure. You must perform. You must have perfect racial justice. And if you don't, then we will shame you. We will fire you. You must have perfect sexual gender justice. Oh, we'll fire you. That's the threat, isn't it? And I want to urge you, not with the spirit of self-righteousness or of anger and indignation or of resentment, but a calm and humble spirit, a spirit to walk. Think about some of your, your co-workers. Some of your co-workers, they may not believe in Jesus, but they're confused about some of the, of the demands of our times. And they're going like, I don't know if I quite agree with that, but I don't know. Can, do you, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure. And, but it's not even say that you're not sure. And they could use a friend. And they could use somebody who would be gentle 
and yet humble, and yet courageous. And not only just that, what if the bottom is falling off in their life? What if you find out that they have a brother who was suicidal due to social distancing and being lonely for a long, long time? What if you find out that they had a father who died of COVID? And so all this is going on. Their pressures to make money, their status in this time, their, their, the, the, the brokenness of their brother, the grief of the loss of their father, all this is going on. And today, you know what they need? They need, they need a humble, persevering, courageous, gentle, transparent kind of love. The kind that Jesus gave us. He came into our hurts and he came into our, into our soft and fearful places. And he walked with us as untermenschen, the lower people. So brothers and sisters, I want to urge you, would you go forward? I'm not saying go be preachy or, you know, like, go, go, uh, you know, but gently, humbly, to not deny Christ. Maybe you, it would be through prayer before you eat your meals. It will be mentioned, say, hey, I, I went to church this past weekend, and you talk about, you actually, you, 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 you genuinely love your church. And you say it with a, you know, unaffected kind of self-consciousness. You're not trying to preach on them. You're not trying to impose anything on them. You're just being very real and authentic in who you are and showing them who your real hope and riches are. It's Christ. So, brothers and sisters, let's go into 2021. It's Advent. Let's offer them the coming, the coming of the light into the deep darkness, the gospel. Let me close by offering, I want to ask you to have confidence in a different kind of government. I'm I'm calling part three, confidence in a spirit-led government. This is the promise. Isn't that strange? This is the way it's put it. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder. This government is of a wonderful counselor, a prince of peace. Oh, not a prince of, uh, of, uh, of partisanship. Not a prince of anger. They did this to us. We got to get them back. They're the ones who lie and cheat and manipulate. No. No. But instead, let's, let's have a different spirit. Let's have a spirit of balance. Um, you know, uh, one of the, my, my, my favorite quotes when I think about this time you know, that I've been thinking about a lot, is from C.S. Lewis. And C.S. Lewis once said, I hate reactions. That's the way he put it. And then he quotes reactions of all kinds, to react. And he said, and he quotes Martin Luther. He says, reactions are like, we are like a drunk who falls off the horse on the right side. And then in reaction, we get on the horse and then we fall off on the left side. That's going on all around in our society. We have conservative reactions. We have liberal reactions. We have secular reactions. We have Christians. The Christians are reacting with pharisaical righteousness too often in our time. But what this government offers is something different. It isn't primarily the things on the outside that we tend to look for. Money or to, to win elections or to know who has power. But our government which will have no end, the government of the Messiah, 
It is a spirit-led government. It is of the spirit. It's a little bit more invisible to the eyes, to the fleshly eyes, but it's very, very plain if you have eyes of the Holy Spirit, if you have eyes of the things of Jesus. And the way to see it is this. Is there a governance? Is there a reign? When you come into a community and you meet a people, are they under a government of shalom? Of, the, of his government and of shalom, which was hard won with a great cost, the cost of the incarnation, of lowliness, of a body that was broken and beaten by the rod of the oppressor and nailed, and his blood came forward to atone for that which was our Herod, Pharisaical, phony righteousness and hypocrisies. That is the shalom government that our king won with great cost. He came to do that. And so he came to establish and uphold this government with justice and with righteousness. Real righteousness. Not hypocritical righteousness. Costly. And one filled with humility, yet Oddly confident. You know, the world doesn't understand what that's like. To be humble, people think humble is always like this. Oh, humble doesn't look like this. Humble looks like, oh, you know, like people think that the humble is always the broken down, the beaten down. But in Christ, there is humble yet confident. And I ask you, only in Jesus can we have this. So, let me close this way. This kind of humble confidence, it comes through the incarnation. The incarnation is when, when our king, the one who reigns in our government, he did not stay in the comfortable places, in the comfortable suburbs, in the comfortable gated community, and then just send money over there. That's not what he did. He entered into, he entered into the darkness, into the poverty, in among the untermension. And he came, he came with humility. He went into the hurting. He went into the confusing complexity. He did not react. He acted, not reacted. It was through his cross. Through his cross, we have the humility. For it was his righteousness, not our righteousness. And it was his justice, not our justice. And through his resurrection, we have courage. Why? Because his resurrection is our life. It's his victory is our victory. His resurrection life is the final say by which we know this king will have the government. And that government will never be broken because his resurrection will never be broken. And we remember that winning today, today, in this temporal life, that's not the be-all, end-all. You know, we could lose today. We could lose today. And I'm not saying go out there and be reckless and maybe get fired or hated by your co-workers or your neighbors. But I want to say that if you do nothing wrong and you live for Jesus and you serve them with truth and with the gospel and if some bad things happen to you, I want to ask you to say this, to remember the cross. 
Remember your resurrection. The resurrection, your resurrection through Christ, through the incarnate one. That his is the last say. And even if you lose today, you don't ever truly lose. It's never the final say. Whatever we lose today, it's only gain forever and ever. So brothers and sisters, today, let us live inside of an eternal win of Jesus. With Jesus, we will win. The temporal wins and losses are irrelevant. In a thousand years, they'll be irrelevant. In eternity, our wins today and our losses, they'll be laughable. They'll be a joke. But if we lose for Christ or win for Christ through his humility, through the gospel, through gentle, humble, persevering confidence in and for Christ and for the sake of our neighbors, revive, you will have riches that will never be taken away from you forever and forever. So brothers and sisters, hear this word. As 2020, this difficult and painful year of 2020 closes out, let's look forward, let's go into the new era of 2021, and let's come out strong, revive. This is the church God intended us to do, and boy, does our city need us. Boy, does our city need Jesus. And so, with humble, persevering, confident courage, let's offer Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, um, it's been an incredible year. And thankfully, so many of our members, we have not been touched by, in terms of sickness with the virus. And so many of our members, we have, we've escaped even the hardships of you know, the economic downturns. But we have some in our church that have, and we know lots of people who have. As we go into 2021, Lord, we trust not through eyes of sight, not because we have more power or might or money or the politics on our side. No, Lord, but because you are on our side. You are a king and you never fail and you have victory forever and ever. Even if it looks like in the temporal we lose, Lord, in you all the losses are wins. Even your cross, which looked like the ultimate defeat, was actually the ultimate victory. So help us to live inside of you, in Christ, in your incarnation, in your death on the cross, in the resurrection. And in 2021, may people meet a very strange people, a strange and odd and oddly compelling church. We're oddly compelling because we shine the light of the glory of God through Jesus Christ into the deep darkness of this land, of this city. And we pray that we will rejoice as we watch what your, what your Spirit does in us, through us, with us, for our neighbors. Bless our neighbors. Bless us. In and through Jesus Christ, in His name we pray. Amen.